Thank you, Kiefer. All right, who are the pumpkin spice people? Nice. Represent. Who are the pumpkin spice nay people? I actually, I, I, I really don't have an opinion about pumpkin spice. I haven't tried pumpkin spice, so it's unfair of me to judge pumpkin spice. But when I asked Anna what she thought about pumpkin, pumpkin spice, her exact words were, nay, pumpkin spice is so disappointing. I was like, I'm going to go with Anna. I think I trust her judgment. So this morning is going to be full of stories. And so we're actually going to start this morning with a story. So the year is 1873. An American poet and writer, Fanny Jane Crosby, decided she wanted to visit a fellow songwriter's house, one of her friends. And so she goes over to her friend's house, and when she gets there, her friend says, Hey, Fanny, I have been working on a melody, and I want you to hear it. And so the friend pulls Fanny Crosby over to the piano and starts to pluck out this melody on the piano keys. Now, as she's playing the melody, she asks Fanny Crosby, What does this melody say to you? And Fanny Crosby sat there, and she prayed for a moment. And then she began to compose this poem. And they put this poem to the melody on the piano, and the song was created. And this is how that song went. It went, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And it would go on to say, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Has anyone heard that song before. We've sung it a couple times here at Mill City. Well, the song is beautiful, and so I decided I want to know more about the story behind the song. I want to know more about Fanny Crosby, and so I researched her life, and I found out that her story only adds beauty to the lyrics that she wrote. So Fanny Crosby actually was struck permanently blind at only six weeks old. And she was struck blind because a doctor messed up on a pretty standard procedure. But growing up in life, she didn't let it slow her down. In fact, she chose to approach her situation rooted in her trust in Jesus. At only eight years old, this is what Fanny Crosby wrote. At just eight, keep this in mind. She says, oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, content I will be. Isn't that beautiful for an eight-year-old? Now, Fanny Crosby would go on to experience joy as she went on to teach her school, but she would also experience heartbreak in her life, like when she lost her baby girl as soon as that girl was born. Yet through it all, Fanny Crosby would write songs to remind her of the hope that she held on to, songs like Blessed Assurance. In fact, she wrote hundreds and hundreds of hymns. She was a very gifted writer. One time when she was visiting a pastor, one of the pastors, in an attempt to sympathize, said something really foolish. But he said, if only, it's a pity God didn't give you sight when he blessed you with all these other gifts. But Fanny Crosby didn't miss a beat. She said, no, if I had to do it all over again, I would pray that I would be born blind. And the pastor was stunned as I was stunned when I read the story. And the pastor said, why, why would you do that? And Fanny Crosby said this, and I think this is beautiful. She said, I would pray to be born blind because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever see will be that of my Savior. Isn't that amazing? This was her story. This was the difference that Jesus made in her life. Because Jesus was alive, you can see her lyrics and the trust in Jesus caused her to write lyrics full of hope, 
full of peace and full of joy. Now this morning, we are concluding our series called This Is My Story, and it's actually a nod to Fanny Crosby's tune, Blessed Assurance, that has become so common to so many believers around the world. And as a part of the series we've looked through, there are so many other stories and narratives that the world offers, yet Jesus offers us to let our stories be shaped by his words, his works, and his ways. And we've read through the Gospels, and we've learned about Jesus' words, his works, and his ways. And now we come to the climax of the Gospels. We come to the reason that Jesus came down to this earth to set us free and to bring his kingdom. Now this morning, we are going to enter into the stories of two of the disciples of Jesus. We're going to enter into the story of Mary Magdalene and Peter. And I want to look at what was their experience of these final days. What would they say their story was? What was the difference Jesus made in their life? Now, we are going to travel back in time this morning, and that's going to take some imagination for all of us and some creativity as we step into the story. And I need to say, this is a disclaimer, we don't know exactly every detail of what happened when Jesus died and rose again. But what we do know is that humans experience this. Humans with emotions and feelings, just like we have emotions and feelings. And so we are going to come together this morning and imagine together, what would it have been like to be a part of that story in real time? What would it have been like to be Mary and Peter and experience Jesus' death and that grief, but also experience the difference that Jesus made in their life? What would they say their story was? Now, as we engage with Peter and Mary's story, I also want you to reflect on what would you say your story is this morning? What would you say the difference Jesus' resurrection makes in your life? Now, like a book, I have divided this story into three chapters. I've divided it into chapter one, the cross, chapter two, the day between, and chapter three, the empty tomb. And you'll see the empty tomb, not empty tomb, empty tomb. And you'll see these headings on the back of the screen. But we're going to enter into this story together. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the story that you've invited us into. As we step back in time this morning, as we imagine what it was like to be there when all of this happened, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear you. Jesus, we love you. Would you guide us as we go through your story this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, because this is a story, I'm going to sit down as we read this story together. And if you're following along in your Bible, I'm going to be pulling a lot of this from John chapter 19 through 21. So if you want to turn there with me, you can. John chapter 19 through 21. All right, let's step into the story. Later, Jesus, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant. They lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's step into the story. Mary Magdalene was there when Jesus breathed his last. She hadn't left. She had watched as he was beaten and ridiculed. 
She was there as the soldiers nailed him to the cross, as he gasped for air till the very last moment, loving those in his life and offering forgiveness for those who put him there. All the while, I wonder if she was thinking, why Jesus? Because she had seen the miraculous. She had seen 5,000 fed from just a couple loaves and fish. She had seen evil spirits cast out and the sick healed, even the dead raised to life. She devoted her whole life to this teacher. And now she stood stunned as she made out his final words, it is finished. The hours passed and the soldiers finally came and took down Jesus' body. His limp body was handed to a man named Joseph. Mary Magdalene followed along with Jesus' mother, wanting to soak in every moment she possibly could. She She saw her best friend's body wrapped in linen. She saw the tomb he was laid in. She probably heard the grinding and thud of the stone as it was placed in front of the tomb. And then silence. I wonder if at this moment it fully hit Mary. Never again would she hear Jesus' voice. Never again would she see that look of compassion. This was not how it was supposed to end. So she went with the other women and prepared spices and perfumes to embalm Jesus' body. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience with the commandment. Imagine if you were Peter. The Sabbath meant to be a day of rest, yet how could Peter rest? I wonder if he hadn't stopped weeping, filled with a mixture of anger, frustration, shame, and guilt. Peter let the memories flood in, remembering how he was one of the first disciples who responded to the invitation and challenge to follow Jesus. He could remember the boat he was on, the way the stranger told him to throw the net to the other side of the boat. He remembered being invited to follow me despite his past. Who could have known that this stranger would become his teacher, his Messiah, and his closest friend? Peter left everything to follow Jesus, his job and his family. And even when all others abandoned Jesus, Peter remained convinced because he thought Jesus was who he said he was. I imagine that Peter reflected on the miracles The dead girl raised to life. His mother-in-law healed. I mean, he even got to walk on water, if only for a time. But most importantly, Jesus gave Peter a new name, the name Peter, which means rock. And Jesus gave Peter a mission. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Sitting there that Sabbath, I wonder if all Peter could think of was how every last interaction he had with Jesus, he felt like he failed. I rebuked him when he washed my feet. Oh, if I had known it was the last time I would see Jesus. I fell asleep when he needed me to pray with him. I was supposed to be the rock. Jesus needed me, and I failed. Worse yet, when I had a chance to stand up for him, the one who believed in me, loved me, and chose me. I denied even knowing him. I still remember that look as I heard the rooster crow. I haven't been able to shake the shame and the guilt that I felt then. As Peter sat that Sabbath, confused at how suddenly everything ended, did he think, was Jesus wrong about me? 
Did he make a mistake asking me to follow him? Did he choose the wrong person? Imagine if you were Peter sitting there. What emotions and grief would you feel in that moment? What emotions and grief did Peter feel? With Jesus' death, Peter probably felt dead as well. His purpose, his meaning, everything that Jesus said about him was lost. That same Sabbath, what if you were Mary? The day was a dark one for Mary as well, but what could she do? All she wanted to do was go to the tomb, but she followed God's invitation to rest. Mary remembered her own journey with Jesus. Before she met Jesus, she was held captive by not one, but seven evil spirits. The agony she experienced was probably unbearable at times, driving her further from those around her further into the dark. But Jesus, Jesus showed up. Jesus stopped and saw her and had compassion. And with a voice carrying authority yet surrounded in love for her, he drove the demons out. Mary had never felt freedom like that before. I wonder if she asked herself, who is this more powerful than the darkness? More powerful than the demons that had tormented her day and night? So she gave her whole life to Jesus. In fact, she supported Jesus with her own money. Unlike any other teacher, Jesus invited her, a woman, to be a follower, to learn, to witness, to share the news of his kingdom with those around her. Her, a woman. Jesus was unlike any other teacher of that day. Imagine with me the questions that Mary probably asked that Sabbath as she had just seen Jesus die. Did she ask, Jesus wasn't supposed to die. He was the one who was stronger. He was the one who had calmed storms. He was the one, but he's dead. I wonder if Mary felt a knot build in her stomach. Did she wonder, if Jesus is dead, who's there to protect me from the demons anymore? Could they return? Not only that, but would she ever be able to have a front row seat like she had? Would she ever have to, would she have to return to a life limited to her being a woman? In those days, there was no room for her to learn, no room for her to experience the kingdom like she had experienced. With Jesus gone, everything seemed to have died with him. So what was her purpose? I wonder if she tried to push the questions aside and hold on to his teachings his miracles, just daily life with her teacher, the sound of his voice. Did Mary experience waves of grief? I know when I've experienced grief, it's felt like I've been walking through a valley full of hidden pits where one moment it feels like I'm fine and the next moment it feels like I'm free-falling. Was that how Mary felt the Sabbath? I wonder if she dreaded yet also looked forward to a trip to the tomb the next day. Maybe this would bring some closure for her. The empty tomb. Now Mary didn't sleep much that night. Could you? As soon as she could, she got up and made her way to the tomb. It was still dark, and as the cool air blew past her that morning, I imagine her wrapping her shawl tightly around her. She made her way to the tomb, and when she reached it, her heart stopped. 
the stone was gone. She panicked. Was she at the right tomb? Yes, this had to be the right place. She had seen Joseph lay the body in that tomb. She had to tell someone. She turned around and ran towards Simon and the other disciples. When she reached Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, she shouted, they're, they're, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter dropped what he was doing right away and together ran with John for the tomb. I wonder if he ran faster than he had ever run in his life. John reached the tomb first, but Peter caught up to John and burst into the tomb. He looked everywhere. I wonder, did he bend down to examine the dust? Could robbers have come and stolen the body? Peter looked up and saw the strips of linen, the same cloth that they had wrapped around Jesus' head. It was lying there, folded. But where was Jesus? Peter walked out of the tomb. He looked around. I wonder if he rubbed his face, thinking, what is happening? As if things weren't bad enough, Jesus was dead, and now his body was gone? I imagine the grief hit Peter like a fresh wave, and he could feel the tears well up in his eyes again. Did John come over and put his arm around Peter? Did he say, let's go home, Peter. Let's talk to the others. This is confusing. Let's talk with them, see what they think, and we'll come back. Mary had joined them at this time, and as Peter and John left, Mary stayed behind. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She had lost her best friend, and now his body was gone. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb one more time, hoping that she saw Jesus' body. But this time, her mouth dropped. The tomb wasn't empty. Inside were two shining beings, brilliant as lightning, sitting in the tomb. What would you do if you were Mary? If I were Mary, I would scream. What's going on? And the being said, don't be afraid. Woman, why are you crying? Mary stuttered, they, they've taken the Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. Suddenly, she heard someone moving behind her, and she swung around. Hello? Who's there? She could see a figure approaching her, but couldn't make it out who it was through the mix of tears and the beams of sunlight as the day got brighter. The figure asked her the same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Mary said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me, please, where you have put him, and I'll go get the body. Then Jesus said, Mary. Jesus said, Mary. That voice, that voice carried authority. That voice carried love. That voice had set her free. That voice had invited her to follow him. She had heard this voice heal and forgive. There was only one person that had that voice. She looked up and she wasn't dreaming. In fact, she was seeing clear as day. And she cried out, teacher. She fell to the ground. Tears of joy filled her eyes. I wonder if the tension of the last two days poured out as she said, Jesus, you're alive. If I were Mary, I would cling to Jesus and never want to let go. Yet Jesus looked at her and gently said, go to my brothers and tell them 
that I'm alive. I wonder, did Mary feel the joy lift her to her feet? Did she take one last look at Jesus before she dashed off? Could she feel her feet barely touching the ground inside? Was she bursting? I would be bursting. How would you feel if your best friend that you thought was dead was now alive? Did she think on her way to the disciples, Jesus, he was greater than death itself. And if he was greater than death itself, who could be greater than him? She didn't have to fear the demons coming back because Jesus was stronger. And now she, Mary, the most unlikely person to see Jesus first, a woman got to see Jesus first. And she got to spread the amazing news. She burst through the door where the disciples were huddled. And all the disciples looked at her wondering, what's going on, Mary? And she yells out, I have seen the Lord. And they were stunned. Now, a side note in the story, I love how Mary is chosen as the first person to see Jesus. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It was her. And while the story was read with imagination, I do wonder, what would Mary have said the difference Jesus' resurrection made in her life in that moment? What would she say her story was? Think about that for a second. What would Mary say her story was? Now we're going to hop back into our story because we have to finish out Peter's story. But we'll come back to these questions later. Okay, hopping back into our story. Now it had been a couple days since Mary had told the disciples of Jesus' resurrection. Soon after, Jesus actually appeared to them all. The doors were closed and Jesus showed up. Imagine the immense joy Peter encountered. Yet I wonder if he still hadn't shaken the shame and guilt that he felt. Jesus knew what he had done. Did Peter think, surely Jesus hadn't forgiven me? I had failed. And yeah, Jesus was back, but maybe it was time for Jesus to look for a new rock. Surely he wouldn't want me to follow him again. And so Peter went to do what he was used to doing. He fished. This time he brought a couple of the disciples with him. And they spent all night fishing and fishing, but they caught nothing. Early in the morning, a stranger stood on the shore and called out, Friends, have you caught any fish? Now, Peter was more than a little exhausted, and he was frustrated because the one thing he was supposed to be good at, he was failing at. And so I imagine Peter shouted back, No! We haven't caught any fish. And the stranger yelled out, Throw your net to the other side of the boat. Okay, side note. I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, to Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 5, and the verse will be on the screen. This is when Jesus first called Peter. And what does this verse say? Put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. This is what Jesus tells Peter. And Simon, or Peter, says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Can you sense what's going to happen in the story? Can you see the parallels in Jesus' first calling and what Jesus was going to do now? Going back to the story, the disciples threw the nets over the right side, and all of a sudden, to their surprise, the nets were full. In fact, so full that they struggled to get the nets back into the boat. I imagine Peter stood up, his heart pounding. 
He had seen this before. So he turned to John, and John yelled, Look, it's the Lord. Peter didn't waste a second. That was all he needed to hear. He jumped into the water and swam towards Jesus. He knew he had to get to Jesus. The disciples followed along, and they dragged the huge hall with them. And when they arrived, Jesus was on the beach, inviting them to come and eat with him. After the meal, Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know in all things, you know that I love you. I wonder if in those moments Peter could say these words, but Jesus knew how deeply Peter truly loved him. For he knew that he made no mistake. Peter was the rock, the one Jesus had chosen. And he would give his life for Jesus and for those Jesus loved. And so Jesus goes on to say, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And then Jesus said, Follow me. Follow me. With those words, Peter was brought back to that moment years ago on a boat when Jesus had called him for the first time. Did, Jesus, did Peter feel that phrase rush through his body? Did that phrase carry forgiveness, carry meaning? Did it breathe new life into Peter's purpose? Did that phrase show Peter that he didn't have to prove a thing? Did that phrase show Peter that Jesus already loved and approved of him? Jesus had the final word on Peter's life, and his life would never be the same. Jesus invites Peter, come follow me. So, what would Peter say his story was? What was the difference that Peter would say Jesus' resurrection made in his life. What was his story? Just think about that for a moment. All right, exiting the time of storytelling. But this was Peter's story. This was Mary's story. Their grief had turned into joy. Jesus' resurrection took what was broken in Mary's, Mary and Peter's life and restored it. And Peter and Mary would never be the same again. So what's your story this morning? What is the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes in your life? Now for me, this is sometimes hard to come up with and even hard to share what my story is. And so this morning, I have just two simple questions that might help you as you think about what is my story? What's the difference that Jesus makes in my life? And they'll be on the screen here. The first question is, what have I been saved from? What have I been saved from? 
And the second question is, what have I been saved for? What have I been saved from? And what have I been saved for? Now, Jesus' resurrection means we're saved from death and saved from sin and invited into eternal life. And that makes a difference now. When we follow Jesus, we get to experience this eternal life starting right away. For Mary, think through this question. Would she say that the difference Jesus' resurrection made in her life meant that she was saved from fear and rejection? What about Peter? What would he say his story was? Would he say the difference of Jesus being alive meant he was saved from letting shame and guilt control his life? What do you think they would say? For me, before I met Jesus, I felt fearful and alone. In fact, I met Jesus when I was five years old in a literal thunderstorm. It was crackling all around me. I think a coconut branch, because I was in India, had fallen down and it had cut the power, which meant that I was afraid not only of storms, but afraid of the dark. And in my life, I have gone through a lot of metaphorical storms since then. And the difference Jesus makes in my life is that while I might still be fearful, I know that I'm not alone. I know that I have a God who loves me, a God who forgave me. I know that I have a friend who is always there for me, who I can go to with all my problems. I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which says, what a privilege to carry everything to God in care. That's the difference Jesus made in my life. This friend gives me hope. This friend gives me forgiveness. And this friend loves me deeply no matter what I've done or no matter what's been done to me. And so if I was to share my story this morning, I would say that the difference Jesus makes in my life means that I am saved from having to live a life where I feel alone. Now, maybe you've had a moment where you encountered Jesus, and maybe it was over a period of time. Maybe it was an, a drastic change, or maybe it was a slow change as you daily walked with your friend. But what's your story? What have you been saved from. And yes, we're all saved from the power of sin and brokenness, but what specifically has that looked like? Have there been places in your life where it makes all the difference that Jesus is alive? So I just want you to take maybe 10 seconds, think through, what have I been saved from? What would my story be? So what have you been saved from? And second, what have you been saved for? In both Peter and Mary's story, they were saved, saved for something. They were saved for something. Not only saved from shame and fear, but they were both given a purpose. They were saved for a life of following Jesus, what meant joining God's work in what he was doing in this world and sharing that news with those around them. To share the story of what Jesus had done in their lives. In their own ways, Jesus had asked both Mary and Peter to follow me. That's what they were saved for. And so as we end this morning, I believe that that's the invitation for all of us today. Jesus knows each of us by name and is saying, Mary, follow me. Peter, follow me. Ashish, follow me. What does follow me look like for you this morning? Maybe this morning, responding to this invitation of following Jesus means confessing an area of life that you've held on to for too long and inviting Jesus to restore what is broken in your life. 
to let the dead things go and experience the life that Jesus brings. What if following me means confessing another story that you've held on to and prioritized instead of stepping into a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus? You say that, oh, I'm a Christ follower, but the story of Jesus kind of floats at the bottom here and doesn't actually make a difference in your life. If you were to stand alongside any other person, no one would be able to tell the difference. Maybe following Jesus means saying, Lord, I have held up this story for too long, and I need to step into your story. I need to cling to your words, your works, and ways, and let that shape my life. Maybe this morning following Jesus means asking the Spirit to give you wisdom on how to join God in what he is doing in your family, your neighborhood, and your workplace. Saying, Holy Spirit, show me how to live out this story that you've asked me to live so that other people are drawn closer to your love. Maybe this morning following Jesus means bringing the tensions and doubts that you have with Jesus. Being honest with where you're at with Jesus. He loves you. He'll hold those tensions and doubts with you. And maybe this morning, stepping towards Jesus and responding to this invitation means stepping towards Jesus for the first time. Or returning to Jesus if there's been distance in the season or for a while. One thing I know about Jesus is his arms are open wide. He loves you deeply and he's saying to everyone, come and follow me. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, come be defined by my healing. Come be defined by my victory. Come be defined by my love for you. Step into the eternal life that I bring and watch the difference that it makes. So maybe this morning, if you're in that place, following Jesus is simply praying, Jesus, I want to follow you. No matter where you are this morning, we're going to have people on the side who are ready to pray and ready to walk through these questions with you. And so don't shy away from these questions. Actually lean into them in the next few songs that we have together. Ask Jesus, what have you saved me from? What have I been saved for? And what does following you look like today? Now, Jesus being alive made all the difference. It made the difference in Fanny Crosby's life when she said, this is my story. I have hope. I know that one day all things will be made right. I know that I will be restored. It made a difference in Peter and Mary's story. They went from thinking that their friend was dead, that life had no meaning, to all of a sudden their friend was alive. It changed their lives. And it's made a difference in my story as well. It's taken me from a person who is so afraid, taken me from a person who is so afraid of death. And it's changed my life because now I know that while I will still encounter things that I'm afraid of, and I will still encounter death, I know that I'm not alone. So this is my story. What's your story this morning? The story is worth living into. The story is worth choosing. But the story is going to take intentionality on your part because it is so easy to let the story float at the bottom here as I walk through my life. Yet Jesus invites us to take our lives and offer it to him to lay our lives in the hands of a friend and watch a spirit shape our lives as we pursue justice, as we pursue healing, forgiveness, and provision in Jesus' name. And so are you going to choose that story today? 
Are you going to choose that this next week, this next month? Because this city needs people who choose this story, that Jesus has loved them deeply, that Jesus has transformed their lives. And so what have you been saved from? What have you been saved for? And what's your story this morning? How is Jesus inviting you to follow him? Would you pray with me? And then let's end our time in worship. Holy Spirit, I thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you for what you've done. Jesus, I thank you for what you have done. That you came down to this earth. That you stepped into our brokenness and shame and sin. You took it on yourself and you made a way for us to be in relationship with you. You made a way into the sweetest friendship we could ever hope for. A friendship where we are forgiven where we have hope, a friendship that transforms our lives as we daily follow you. And so this morning, Jesus, what is the story that you are working in our lives? What are the things that we have been saved from? What is the thing that we have been saved for? And Jesus, what does it look like to follow you this morning together? Jesus, this story is a hard story to live into, but it is a story worth choosing. And so would we as a church be a church that chooses this story, a church that lets this story transform the way that we work in our neighborhoods, that we operate in our homes, that we go to school, let this story change everything and point people to the love and hope and peace that you bring. Jesus, this morning, would you meet us exactly where we are? We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this time together. In your name I pray.